0: Hey, Shannon, how long have you been teaching before you knew about that R-control vowel?
1: Um, it was a number of years. Same.
0: <laughs> okay. This is the Reading Teachers Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were Literacy Soul Sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Hi, I'm Mary Sagoffi. I'm a reading tutor and special education teacher. I have taught in all elementary grades, I have Orton-Gillingham training and have been helping students with reading issues and dyslexia for 10 years. I love talking all things teaching. I believe that humor goes a long way in asking students and teachers to do hard things. I'm excited to share with Shannon and learn along with all of you. Hi, I'm Shannon Betts, and I've been teaching for over
1: 16 years. My specialty is locating the missing pieces in students' reading development and choosing just-right activities to fill those gaps. You can find me online at readingdevelopment.com and at rdngdevelopment on Twitter and Instagram.
0: So I remember this really great poster that was handed down to me that was a big red R and it had this mean, grouchy, bossy face and it was that bossy R and I first taught it to my students and I was like, hey guys, do you know how bossy this consonant R is? It's so bossy. It can change that vowel sound. It just totally takes over. And that's what it is. It's an R controlled vowel. I'd been teaching a
1: while, um, before I learned what an R controlled vowel was. And so I had gone through about five or six years of teaching before I started explicitly teaching it to the students. I was, um, reading a professional book about the syllable types and the breakdown of the different vowel types and R control was the third one. and I was like, oh, this is a real category <laughs> of phonics that needs to be explicitly taught because it's not so obvious to students.
0: That's right. So it's called the R con- um, the bossy R or the R control. It's really kind of gone away from bossy R in the more recent times, but it um, makes this short vowel sound, nearly impossible to pronounce. So if you have the word car, it looks like it should be a CVC word. Um, you underline the vowel. You um, check and see that the next consonant is an R, and that R takes over the vowel sound, so we have R. Because you can't say car or something <laughs> no, it's for
1: impossible. cat, car. Okay. That's right. So I still call it Bossy R with my students um, when I teach it, and I use a lot of teaching videos to introduce it, Um There's a really, really cute one from Electric Company that's on YouTube, and it's this woman singing, you know, because I'm bossy, I'm the bossy R, and she changes um, cat to cart and bust to burst, and it, like, the words flash on the screen, and the students can really see that vowel changing. so cute. I love that video. And then there's another one that's just a little sing-songy, like, who is the boss R is, and the students, we end up singing that a lot when we encounter those words.
0: Those little mnemonics, and they're, they're not exactly mnemonics, but it's just that sound that, song that's tied to mm-hmm. the rule. It's so impressive um, because it really gets the kids triggered to remember the concept that you're teaching them.
1: Right, because it's actually a more developmental thing. So remember, the students have already been taught short and long vowel rules at that point. Right. R-controlled usually comes third. And they already sort of have that concept that a vowel will change sounds. And they attach two sounds to one letter. Yep. So for the letter O, they know it's ah or O. Oh. And then now you're bringing in a third sound. And so now it's one letter, three sounds. And if they have a good developmental sense of vowel awareness that that vowel can change sounds and to know when to use the short and long, our control can go a little faster in terms of teaching. Mm-hmm. But if they are not, what I've found is that if they are not really, really strong on switching between the short and long vowels quickly, then we are going to encounter a lot of trouble and are controlled.
0: Absolutely. Um, not only that, because then developmentally there's another more complex step um, when you start to teach this syllable type, and that is that ER, IR, and UR all make the same ER sound. So then you have to bring in the spelling. So then the spelling component becomes real. So when I'm teaching, um, and this probably goes with most of the sequences that you're teaching, but I typically teach the A-R, the R sound, the O-R, the OR sound. And then um, together I teach E-R, I-R, U-R, and then we'll switch to a different phonetic pattern. We might be reviewing long and short vowels at that point. We might review another step, and then we'll come back and reintroduce it again, um, especially the E-R-I-R-U-R, because the there is not a very specific spelling rule that's related to this. But um, one thing that does sort of help my students at this point when we come to this kind of like, Maybe let's call it like a bumpy part in the road where it just gets a little bit trickier. Um, that the most frequent spelling of er is er. Most of us already understand that. A fairly frequent spelling of er is ir, like the word bird. And then the least common spelling for er is ur. Um, and that f- knowing that frequency usually helps them. Um, I don't. Sometimes I use a mnemonic device to kind of help the kids know, and it might be like. Um, the girl and the bird, you know, something to that effect. Has a
1: burn or whatever. Yes.
0: The girl and the bird has, <laughs> in the summer, the girl and the bird had a burn or something. And there's a funny picture that's tied to it. And you try and really make sure that the um, the phoneme that's attached to it, the grapheme that's attached to it is, you know, explicit. But if you or um, anyone you know has any really great mnemonic devices to teach that, please leave it in our comments section Um on our website because i'm always curious to find out more information
1: and students have to so teaching them that er is the most frequent that's the one that they would choose when they're trying to spell those words
0: right right mm -hmm. so um you know when you're just starting to sound it out i think that that's important but the spelling piece is the second part that comes it's the decoding piece that we want them to address first Mm -hmm. and so i think that the easiest fastest and um best way to first address it is through rhyming words yeah um the second piece is to do word sorts so then they can start to see um, what the word looks like and sort those words into categories and kind of get that looks right spelling together yes we were sort of chatting about this before the start of the podcast but some kids are more equipped than others to have um the sense of that a word looks right Mm -hmm. um, that bird is typically spelled with an ir is not something that is solid for every student it's something that probably about 20% of your students need explicitly taught to them. Okay. Yeah, that the phrase Looks Right actually comes from an activity
1: by Pat Cunningham, who came up with a lot. She invented making words, where you cut apart the letters and make a whole bunch of words with those letter tiles, and she has a lot of other really cool phonics activities. But in Looks Right, um, there's a big list of words that... Um, you look at and you spell it all the different ways. Mm-hmm. So if you were spelling bird, you would spell it B E R D, B I R D, B U R D and you have a discussion or you look in the dictionary um and check which one is correct, which one looks right, which one is correct, and you cross out the two wrong ones. Right. And that trains the students to do that when they practice their spelling as well and their writing.
0: That skill is such an important skill, especially in this age of text prediction um, because kids really do need to be able to recognize if a word is misspelled when they're using, um, you know, devices. So this came up at an iep meeting actually that i attended a couple years ago now um but i was working directly with this student and he had just gotten an assistive technology um evaluation the evaluation uh granted him access to a computer the computer had this program called co on it co-writer is a word prediction software so we were discussing it and he said well it's good, but I don't know when the word is the right word to pick when I get a drop-down menu. Oh. And so it's something that I really want to emphasize is that assistive technology is so wonderful and important for our students if they're taught how to use it. Yeah. And if they're not taught how to use it, then there's a good chance that that laptop computer that the district has provided for the student is just going to sit and collect dust in the classroom and that's not really helping that student or providing the access to the curriculum that they really need they really do need somebody to teach them now in this case um, the parents really volunteered and and underst- and really started using it more at home and modeled it for their their child at home i think that's really important to kind of touch on um but if you don't necessarily have the parent support at home it does fall to the teacher it can fall to another person in the building if you can but not teaching that student is not acceptable
1: well i mean it's just a strategy like okay Okay, students, you have to try out words and see which one looks right. Mm-hmm. You have to try sounding out words to see which one sounds right in the sentence. Those are actual strategies that they can apply to any word in right. any spelling or writing situation.
0: I think that the trouble that c- happens is when the teacher sort of glosses over that concept, and you're not actually you know, starting off the lesson by saying, hey, you can look at your resources you can look it up in the dictionary you can look um you know on our word wall you can f- utilize the different resources you can't just say well does it look right to you right because what i'm saying is 20 percent of your students have no idea mm-hmm. what looks right could actually mean. yes and when you teach them those
1: tools and those strategies then they won't just sit there yep. the students will have
0: some um problem solving skills Well, I think one of the things that our teachers probably need to hear from us are like, what kind of strategies do we use in our classroom to teach this E-R-I-R mumbo jumbo? Yes. (laughs) Um, I'll share, um, a few of the things. What I like to do, and this is sort of what you had alluded to, I love to do puzzle pieces that are broken into either syllables or, um, into compound words and, uh, let students fit the pieces together Mm -hmm. and make their own words, um. Yeah. Sometimes also there's an activity called making words or making big words. Yes. where you cut apart the letters and the students can then invent, you know decide how what words are a part of it. That's more of like an open-ended activity. Um, whereas my puzzle pieces per se would be like a really direct instruction. We're only working on AR, IR, or whatever word word, word pattern we're working on.
1: So I do some like that too where I'm explicitly only working on the r controlled with the students. Yeah. Um, and you can find a couple stories that have a lot of r controlled words in them and we'll read sentences like that. Yep. Like my sister took a turn or the horses in the barn like little phrases. Yep. But then also I will swap back and forth with doing some activities where I'm exposing them to short long and um, long and r controlled all at the same time. Right. And so we might make mat mate mart and we might practice spelling those and we might practice moving the letter tiles around so yep. that they're really getting a good experience i'll also I have a huge deck of um, little word index cards and i'll just show them really really quickly and say you know and then students have to tell me oh that's a short vowel that's a long vowel that's our control sometimes they're not even the decoding the word because i just want them to start training their eyes to look at the vowel
0: i love that that um That actually goes into a really specific brain processing skill that's called rapid... Um, letter naming or okay. rapid digit naming in math um, and especially for students who have low processing skills that's not something that is well developed for them but it is a skill that does need to be taught so if you're just training them to look at what is this pattern and to identify it those are really great practice activities like at first we'll highlight it like mm-hmm. it'll
1: have each um, it's sort of like an old box and i'll have each um, letter in one box and they'll start highlighting the vowel so that they can see that the short vowel is closed and the long vowel has got that E at the back. And then the arc controlled one always has the R next to it. So I'll train them to highlight and we'll highlight a bunch of words, just looking at the vowel. And then I teach them little hand signals where they'll do a closed fist or an open fist or a magic E little symbol or an R symbol when they're looking at those words. So really quickly they're doing the hand signal and telling me the vowel sound.
0: That is exactly right. That, um, it's sometimes it's surprising to me that you have not had Orton-Gillingham training because um the piece that is so incredible about Shannon's instruction is that she's always using multisensory techniques and it's uh, a lot of hands-on or non-pencil paper tasks which are so important for the students to start to really kind of grasp and understand um I just worked with low readers for almost two decades, and so I just tried things to
1: see what works. I do want to get Orton-Gillingham trained at some point, but I've just developed those techniques. And so when we met, and Mary started telling me all about official Orton-Gillingham things,
0: it's like oh I've been doing these practices it's fantastic and I think the part you know you were sort of alluding to Elkanen boxes and mm-hmm. there's some teachers who don't know what that is and so it really what it means is that you're tapping out the sounds within a word or you're pushing um an object into a box so if you are doing the word march which which we had just previously talked about it's the mm and then you allow the students to start to visualize what is the grapheme that matches that. So the M-A-R-T make up the three sounds. Right, it's three sounds, have. but four letters. Correct. And that part is a really critical skill that students need to start to develop when they're reading. Um, the other thing I love to do is clip it um, uh Cards, so they're like index size cards, and it will say uh, a picture of a bird, e r i r u r, and then the student chooses which um, pattern matches okay. that, that word. So I really like to use that picture support, especially as an overview and a review. And that might be something that I keep as a review in the classroom for a long time. So we we keep addressing it and allow them to go back, you know, several months after we've taught that skill to keep reviewing. Um, what the spelling pattern is for that. Another thing I do
1: for students who really haven't transferred that knowledge that, okay, one vowel equals three sounds is I've actually physically made boxes. I call them brain boxes. Mm. And I'll have those little picture cue cards. And one box will have nothing on the outside because that's the short vowel box. Mm -hmm. And then the long vowel box has magic E stickers all over the outside the box. And then the other box has little R's stickers all around the outside of the box. And so then I'll show them an unknown word. It might be a real word or it might be a nonsense word. Like let's say it was Merv or something. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, oh, I see an R. I see an R. I need to go to the R control box and I need to look for the E-R picture or card in the R control box. Okay, that's the R sound. Okay, my brain is telling me to say the R sound for this word. So then I'm going to say Merv. And... And then if I change it to Marv, then I would, you know, you'd pull out it the it. other card from the box. But it's still from the R-Control box instead of the short vowel box. And then if I changed it to Miv, okay, well, now I'm not going to go in the R-Control box. I'm going to go to the short vowel box. Um, and I made up those boxes to really make a physical hands-on tactile process of students actually choosing a different vowel sound.
0: I think that's so important. I think a lot of times we switch to, um, you know, using an app or using some sort of video game or experience, but that physical piece I think is really important because our students have lived in such a digital age that they've been experiencing, you know, picture images that relate to that, but the physical tactile piece of actually looking in the box and and making that connection is a really critical skill. And I feel like it mimics maybe what the brain is doing because it's
1: going on a neural pathway and it's choosing I totally a sound when you encounter a new word
0: and you're not sure which
1: vowel sound to say.
0: I love that. I have um, a game that's like kind of related and it's by The Measured Mom. If you haven't checked out The Measured Mom, she has tons of really great free resources free which, resources which are amazing um, but she has a game that's like a gem related game for our control vowels and so um you sort through the words with our control vowels um and they're highlighted with the color to decode it and if it's a real word then you move forward and i really like this real word or not a real word concept mm-hmm. um you know related but Introducing those nonsense words to kids really helps with the exact programming that you were just speaking about about how you choose whether the sound is related to um... well, because as soon as they get into multisyllable
1: words, that nonsense word is p- becomes part of a word. So the nonsense word diff becomes different or differ exactly. So they do need to know those nonsense chunks because once they start decoding longer words, it's not
0: going to be nonsense anymore. <laughs> I have one more little snippet to share, and I thought this was just adorable. I recently just because in preparation for this podcast, I wanted to see what else was out there, and um, I had checked out this cute blog called Smitten with First Grade or Smitten with First Blog. It was so cute, and she did a whole study about art control with her first graders, and they did something about. Um, the bossy r triplets, and she had these little dolls that were the bossy r triplets, and they represented e r i r and u r and she had just the cutest things and then to teach the a r theme, she had captain smarty pants and Cute. so um everything was pirate themed, and they would walk the and do uh-huh, yeah. and write the word for the treasure hunt around the classroom. it was just adorable, so if you're looking for some um kindergarten first second ideas i thought that she had a because really when you build idea. a story around
1: it then the students will
0: remember that story when they you know
1: see that sound or word mm-hmm. um these are all tons of ideas for those three basic art controlled sounds but mm-hmm. we would be remiss if we didn't talk about what we do after we teach those first three sounds and like mary said we kind of give it a break and go back to long and short and review some other things and bring them back in but there are two more I teach in my classroom, very specific, the air
0: sound and the ear sound, but there's also a few others. There are some others. there, uh, And for me, I categorize them as more advanced art control concepts um, that you would teach a little bit later on. And so um, in addition to the A-I-R and the E A R, um, E A R can be ear like uh, here, or it can be er like earth. Right. So the, there are some um there's some irregularities and some
1: changing of patterns and things like that
0: so those are that's why they're more advanced. That's right. Um another what later on even after you specifically teach those patterns, you also want to talk about words like dollar and doctor and those are more advanced too because it actually has to do with the schwa. We're not going to get into the schwa tonight. I know people get a little worried about that. We'll review the schwa in a later episode. You don't need to be too freaked out about it. And if I find a word with the class, I'll just
1: say, "Oh, that's one of those irregular ones or that's one of those words that just doesn't fit we'll talk about it later just categorize that one as it doesn't follow the rules absolutely that we've learned so far
0: and and not only that it's another really wonderful time to start to address homophones um, and how you know sometimes sounds change and why they change Um, if you are so inclined I'd love to hear more if you introduce word um, structured word inquiry in your classroom um, I have not been teaching structured word inquiry but i'm really curious to see how um combining the orton gillingham specifically addressing the phonics skills and then also doing like the etymology of words and the orthography of words and um, how you talk about word origins and why they're spelled the way they are because of the origin where they're from. I'm really interested to see how some people are teaching that. So leave us comments about that too, please. I don't do that with the second grade. It's okay. (laughs) If you don't have the program to do it, you might not be teaching it. I completely understand.
1: So we're in the show notes. We're going to link to some of our favorite games and resources that we mentioned. And also some of our favorite video clips that we use to introduce these. Um, I had a teacher. I was in her classroom as the reading specialist and she was the regular classroom teacher and she had come from a different field. She didn't go. She didn't go to college for education. She was an alternative certification teacher. And one day I was just mentioning what we were working on and we had an honest enough relationship where she could tell me, and she had been teaching about four or five years, but she said, Miss Betts, what's an R control vowel? Like, she really didn't understand that term. And so she needed to know it because she was a second grade teacher and it's very clear. And so we wanted to give a whole episode to this to make sure that all the teachers and the students know what R control vowels are because they are um, a big part of how um, phonics works and how the sounds work in English. But don't be ashamed if you haven't heard of it, because we had been teaching. I did go to college for education, and just like that teacher, I didn't know it until I learned it later.
0: Uh, I didn't learn it until my third year teaching, so um, I'm I'm really honest about that. And I definitely didn't know half of, I'm way more than half of what I know now, um, before my Orrin-Gillingham training, so... um kind of opens your eyes to how you learn to read if you're teaching the way that you believe you learned to read then um uh, it's probably a different view it, we're not necessarily trained as in our teacher training um all of with all of the phonics skills that are really explicitly needed to be taught so shannon and i thought we'd just you know throw you a bone <laughs> so check out all the um resources in the show notes
1: and contact us um, sharing your ideas because we are always looking for more resources to work on this important skill with students
0: teachers can only get better when we kind of band together we have these honest conversations and um, do better for our students and you do better when you know more and and know better so yeah thanks so much for joining us tonight uh we'd like to say thank you to First, we'd like to say thank you for listening to the Reading Teachers Lounge podcast, and we'd like to thank Jordan Kempker for providing the original music, and Allison Zane from Fruit Creative for the artwork. If you could please leave us a review on iTunes, that will help more teachers find us, and also parents, too. We know that there are some parents who are listening to us as well. If you find our information valuable, please tell a fellow teacher or parent to come check us out on our webpage at www.readingtxt.com. Com. You can also find us on Instagram at Reading Teachers Lounge.